At the end of chapter 1, Jonah is drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. As chapter 1 is traced, his sad story against the backdrop of his rebellion and disobedience all the way to the consequences of his now broken communion with God. It's a downward spiral all the way for careful readers of Jonah, positioning Jonah to learn of God's gracious determination to draw us near to himself, whatever the cost may be, even affliction and suffering, a point that Joni Erickson Tata illustrated movingly when she was only a young quadriplegic and wrote, when God brings suffering into your life as a Christian, be it mild or drastic, He is forcing you to decide on issues you have been avoiding. He is pressing you to ask yourself some questions. Am I going to continue to live in two worlds, obeying Christ and my own sinful desires? Or am I going to refuse to worry? Am I going to be grateful in trials? Am I going to abandon my sins? In short, am I going to be like Christ? He provides the suffering, but the choice is yours. God has reasons behind our suffering, and learning some of them will make all the difference in the world. Learning some of those lessons from the belly of the fish, as we'll see this afternoon, made all the differences in the world for this prophet. Three simple points will frame our time together. Jonah's deliverance, Jonah's psalm, Jonah's return. Notice first Jonah's deliverance. Look with me again in chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. As far as the sailors are concerned, there was no hope of the prophet surviving the tempestuous waters that raged against them when they, verse 15, picked up the prophet and hurled him into the sea. And yet, in spite of his sin, the Lord is kind to Jonah. The Lord, verse 17, prepares a fish for him, delivers him from death and waters, And eventually raises him up to dry land. His sin took him down, away from the presence of the Lord. Down, outside of the land of the Lord. Down, among the pagans who do not fear the Lord. Down, into the deeps of death itself, seemingly far away from the Lord. But the Lord delivered him. The fish saves Jonah rather than destroying him. When he finally ran out of options after trying every way possible to get away from God so that he didn't have to obey God. He fled to Tarshish, but God sent a storm to keep him from running. He slept in the boat, but God sent the captain to keep him from sleeping. He hid among the sailors, but God used the luck of the lot to expose him. He proclaimed his nationality and religion, but God used the pagans to rebuke him. He offered himself up so that he could die, so that he didn't have to obey God. But God appointed a fish to save him. Jonah ran, and he tried everything he could think of to keep running. And at the end of chapter 1, he never willingly turned away from the sin that brought destruction and chapter 2, verse 1, distress to himself and everybody else around him. But God pursued him and delivered him anyways. Brothers, before we ever get to Nineveh in Jonah, in this narrative, we should marvel at the great lengths that the great God will go to bring us to the center of His will, from our marriage to our ministry, from our parenting to our pastoring, from our leading to our serving, and we should consider that Jonah could have never dreamed that he would one day find himself in these circumstances 
straying so far away from God, surely he would have thought that his God-given office as prophet would preserve him from such scandal and rebellion. Surely he would have thought that he would never stray so hard from the Lord. Backslide, maybe. Lose a little spiritual fervor in his step, perhaps. But reality was so different than all of the daydreaming when the moment of crisis came and Jonah was in no position to care about his office. Just like it is so different for us when sin presents an opportunity and we're in no position to care about our office as pastor or listen to our Christian conscience when our spouse is away or we're angry with our friends or we're envious of our neighbors or we're grumbling at our God's providence sometimes when he gives us the very things that we have prayed for. But we assume all the while we will be well because of our past record of faithfulness and his call in our life. Let me ask you, brothers, are you substituting your past spiritual record for present disobedience to the will of God? Past obedience is no substitute for present disobedience. And we see that clearly in Jonah. And perhaps, brothers, God is saying something to you through the hard providences of your life as he wakes you up to reality as he does this prophet, just as Jonah's flight to Tarshish was halted by divine intervention. So now God exercises sovereign power, leaving no doubt that God and God alone is responsible for Jonah's deliverance when, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. But as one pastor noted, it is probably the most criticized fish that ever swam in the Mediterranean. Too much discussion about the great fish diverts all of our attention from the real issue because the narrative is not really about the fish at all, which is why Jonah's account is so unique and there is no embellishment or vivid description of the fish or what it was like or what it was, was like for him to stay in the fish. The fish is only mentioned three times in two verses, so why does he include it? To teach us something about the great God who rules over all of the great things in Jonah. Nineveh was a great city. And the storm had a great wind churning up the waters during the great tempest, resulting in men's great fear before tossing Jonah overboard to be saved by a great fish, all of which is ruled by the great God of Jonah, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Salvation belongs to him. From city to sea, salvation belongs to the Lord. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, salvation belongs to this Lord. In duress and distress, salvation belongs to the Lord. And this Lord rescues Jonah by the great fish from the great depths to keep his great covenant promises to Israel. And as he moved over earth and in the seas to save Jonah the prophet, so he has moved history to save your souls. Though Jonah was rebellious, and reckless in life and in conduct, being careless with his life and the life of everyone else around him, God wouldn't let him run away. And though he spoke far better than he knew, and certainly more than he believed, he learned that salvation belongs to the Lord when the great God of heaven, who made the sea, caused the sea to cease its raging and appointed a great fish to swallow him up. Jonah's deliverance Note a second, Jonah's psalm. Look again in chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, 
And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I avowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah 2 teaches us that the greater works takes place not in the sending of the fish, but in the heart of the prophet. After God slows Jonah down and brings Jonah low and gets Jonah alone in verse 1, the belly of the fish. And there in the casket of his salvation, Jonah's newfound appreciation for breathing results in his verse 1 praying. The very discipline that the captain who caught him sleeping in chapter 1 called him to. Chapter 1, verse 6. What do you mean, sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. But Jonah refused to pray while he was on the run, didn't he? He kept his mouth shut. So God just keeps pressing in on Jonah in the narrative, keeping him in dark places, difficult places, until there is nowhere else for Jonah to run and nothing else for Jonah to do except pray. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then finally, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Brother, because he is patient and not punitive, sometimes God will keep us, you, in difficult and dark places to bring us low and get us alone where there is nowhere else for us to run and nothing for us to distract ourselves to do so that we might finally pray. How foolish we are to think that we can carry on this work without continually taking it to the Lord in prayer and listening to him. A humble prophet prayed, and humble preachers pray. Jonah prayed. And when he finally did, a floodgate of emotions burst open because he didn't want to die after all. Chapter 2, verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. He had made a big mistake, and he finally saw it. And he had finally come to see it with clarity. All of that running and all of that disobedience led straight to death, the belly of Sheol. And brothers, that is exactly where our sin will take us, straight to death. It may not kill you in this life, but it will in the next, left unrepented of. There, the lowest point of his life physically and spiritually, and nowhere else to run and nothing else to do, God, verse 2, heard Jonah's voice, even though he had been so sinful and so disobedient in chapter 1. Brothers, because he is patient and not punitive, the great God always hears the prayers of the repentant because the prayers of the repentant recognize God is in control. You see, when he was above water, Jonah thought that he could call all the shots. Away from, on the, away from Nineveh, I don't have to do that. 
On the way to Tarshish, that's where I'm actually going to go. On the boat, I'm going to bed and I'm not going to do anything. In the storm, throw me into the water. I don't want to obey God. He wanted control. Control over what God wanted him to do. Control over what God expected him to do. Control over what he thought God could send him to go do. All because he lacked compassion for his enemies. Brothers, let me ask you. Are you striving after the illusion of control, thinking that you can tell God all the things that you want to do and how you get to do it and where you get to do it and when you get to do it, vying for control? But now Jonah knows control was only illusion, an illusion that he grasped after and pined for, and now he knows that God was in control all along. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves... And your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And certainly what he thought to be his final thoughts as a dying man. He cried out to God and recognized God's sovereign hand guiding all of the details of his life that had brought him to this very moment as the waves of death literally crashed over him and overwhelmed him and pulled him down. And only then does God intervene in Jonah's narrative. Verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When he could sink no lower, when he thought he had been banished from God's sight and destined for death, God brought up his life from the pit and dramatically reverses his downward descent in the narrative, doing the impossible, making the dead live again. Brothers, we have to die before we can live. And locked inside the watery casket that he he stopped pleading and started praising as God mercifully keeps that fish's mouth shut. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. What song is found on his lips? Salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. The Lord, a God gracious and merciful. The Lord, a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It belongs to the Lord and it begins in the very place where rebellion formerly existed in his life. Having experienced in his own life God's power to rescue him from the jaws of death, Jonah, as an expression of gratitude, repents and praises God, making promises to offer sacrifices and fulfill vows. Brothers, restoration to fellowship with God must begin there with repentance and praise because there we realize, as Jonah the prophet did, who's actually in control after all, the God who made the seas and the dry land, salvation belongs to him alone. Do you know that? Do you believe that? There is a difference between the two. It's possible to know it and not believe it, to affirm it, and not live in light of it. The gospel is for preachers too. Repentance from sin and praise to the Lord for not treating us as our sins deserve, 
even as we serve. Jonah had been in God's presence the whole time after all, a presence that he thought he could get away from. And though he had turned from God's living voice, he had now returned at least in part to God's written word as a desperate man utilizing the resources of the Psalms to enable him to approach God. Jonah's deliverance, Jonah's psalm. Notice third, Jonah's return, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. His sin took him down, but the Lord brought him back up again. But the scary part of anyone familiar with the rest of the story is that Jonah experiences this newfound spiritual renewal while still struggling spiritually in the narrative. And the God who knew that returned Jonah to safety and used him meaningfully anyways. Or as another pastor said, God worked for Jonah even while God continued to work on Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he is patient, not punitive, while he is working it out in his controlling providences in our lives. Jonah's way down was rapid in the narrative. He fled obedience to the word of the Lord as he fled the presence of the Lord, but he is arrested by providence in the narrative, and he is brought back to the very point of his departure when he remembered the Lord as he prayed his way back into the presence of God. And now, after his resurrection, he is restored to meaningful service to the great God, just like another Jonah later on. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, we find Jesus with the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, looking at them with a mountain behind them that would have had openings all around it with various idol carvings in the back, and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And we find these familiar verses, 16 verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now turn just a few chapters later to Matthew 26. And in the midst of crucifixion, Jesus being tried and on his way to the cross, Peter is having an internal battle. Chapter 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. From the confession, you are the Christ, to the denial, I do not know the man, Simon, son of Jonah, could not have imagined how far he would fall before the Lord renewed him spiritually while he was still struggling spiritually. 
while God continued to work through Peter, even while God continued to work on Peter, as he learned and relearned and relearned, salvation belongs to the Lord. But God used him spiritually, and using him spiritually does not mean that he was spiritually healthy, and it does not mean that for you or for me either. Brothers, you do not have to be perfect. You have to be faithful. You do not have to be profound. You have to be faithful. You have to pursue spiritual health, but in the midst of that, knowing that God is using you is not to lead us to be deceived into thinking that somehow we are on a right path. Jonah was used mightily even while he was still struggling spiritually. But God continued to work on him and refine him and point him and put him in a place where he had to think and reconsider everything as he learned and relearned. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Joni Erickson Tata was right when she noted, when God brings suffering into your life as a Christian, be it mild or drastic, he is forcing you to decide on issues that you have been avoiding. What have you been avoiding? A point she illustrates movingly when she also writes, I really don't mind the inconvenience of being paralyzed if faithfulness to God while in this wheelchair will bring glory to him. But today, as I look back, I am convinced that the whole ordeal of my paralysis was inspired by love. I wasn't a rat in a maze. I wasn't the brunt of some cruel divine joke. God has reasons behind my suffering and learning some of them has made all of the difference in the world. It's made all of the difference in the world for her. It made all of the difference in the world for Jonah when he learned that salvation belongs to the Lord. It made all of the difference in the world when Peter learned what it really meant for Jesus to be the Christ. And brothers, it will make all the difference for you and for me when we learn and relearn that salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is a light unto our feet. It is a lamp unto our path. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to walk on that path, that you would give us courage to follow that path when we don't want to, that you would give us courage to follow that path when we have struggled in the journey understanding what you are doing, that you would give us courage to walk on that path when it is hard to walk on that path, that you would keep us faithful that we would not be deceived by trying to be profound. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.